recruitment process has changed over time to leverage the ability to put in criteria to sift through large volumes of applications for roles. So it is getting harder. I wouldn't say any door is ever closed. I think right person, right role. And that's something that I've always held very dear to my heart that, that, you know, whenever someone's looking for a candidate, that they should be looking for the right person for that role. And sometimes opening people's eyes to an option that they may not have ordinarily considered is welcomed. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Our guest for this episode is Mandy Hooper, and she shares her inspiring journey of balancing a successful career as a service delivery manager for a major retail chain here in Australia, while also pursuing her passion for wellness. Mandy and I talk about how she manages her time between her busy job and her side hustle, and how she transitioned across different sectors and industries, and she shares with us many interesting ideas on how you can employ those strategies that she has used to do your transition. My favorite topic to discuss with Mandy was indeed her side hustle, and the power of hobbies in preventing burnout. So join me and delve into Mandy's story and learn from her unique insights. I hope that you enjoy the discussion and I hope that it inspires you to consider some of the ideas Mandy has shared with us. All right, let's go then. All right, Mandy. So thank you so much for joining the Job Hunting Podcast as a guest. And I'm delighted to have you here. I've known you for a while, but we've never met. It's just been, you know, LinkedIn conversations and messaging and a little bit of emailing, but it's so wonderful to network and connect with people, especially these days because of the pandemic. I also want to let people know a little bit about you and then hand it over to you to continue telling your story. So you have a busy job as a service delivery manager for Australia and New Zealand in one of Australia's biggest retail chains. And then not only that, you decided to develop this sort of side hustle hobby about wellness and you've published a book and you have a podcast. So how did that happen? Tell me your story. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be a part of your podcast today. As you mentioned, I wrote a book, so that was pre-pandemic. I literally published it in late November 2019 and then COVID hit and the world changed significantly, obviously, as a result of the pandemic. I've always had an interest in health and fitness. It's been one of my lifelong passions. And I had noticed a trend in the fitness industry over the time that, you know, I've been lifting weights since I was 16. So I've been in gyms for a long time. And I noticed this trend that a lot of the programs that were being developed were very much of the stick variety rather than the carrot. And I really believe that there is a way that you can transition to wellness with joy and grace rather than with pain and guilt and shame. So I wrote the book to try and encourage people to transition into a more 
healthy way of living while still maintaining that sense of grace and ease in life and fostering a sense of joy. Mandy, I'm very curious, sorry to interrupt you. I'm very curious. I will let you continue telling your story, but can you very quickly tell me how you include your gym and your exercise routine with a busy job? Yeah, I have always been of the mindset of if you do the things that you love first, you can't let the day run away from you. So I'm at the gym in the morning before my day really gets going, get up, get dressed, get into the gym straight away. And then no matter what the day throws at you, I've done what I need to look after myself. So that's how I've made it work for me. I then would like, ideally, in an ideal world, to be able to fit some other stuff in at the other end of the day. Mm. But as you know, leading teams and running, you know, an important function in a busy organisation is sometimes, you know, in operations, things come up and that doesn't always happen. But at least if I've done it in the morning, I know that I've got my basic requirements to look after myself done. I think the other part of it for me is doing a bulk of my meal prep on weekends so that my nutrition is on point during the week. I find that if I don't do that on weekends, I tend to make less healthy food choices during the week. So I spend most of Sunday afternoons preparing meals. I'll cut up veggies and stuff. I'll make a big salad. I might roast some veggies for various meals and then I kind of slice and dice those ingredients throughout the week so I think that that's how I've managed to make it work. Mm -hmm. Very interesting and tell me about your career and where you work tell me about that job as well. So over the course of my long career I've had various jobs this one in particular was a bit of a left turn I had been managing IT projects for 20 years and I was approached by a recruiter to apply for this role in service delivery Um, which was a bit of a left turn for me, not really my bread and butter in the tech space, but it's been an incredible journey. I manage a team of nearly 100 people. We manage all the endpoints for Bunnings across Australia and New Zealand, 135 endpoints, point of sale, laptops, mobile phones, desktops, Wi-Fi, UPS, you name it. If it's plugged into a PowerPoint, our team looks after that. So it's been a phenomenal experience. I think the core elements of my role are very similar to other jobs that I've had, leading people, you know, the project management and the organisation that you need to make sure that you're running things on time. They were core parts of my role for a very long time. The new stuff to me was laptop builds and, you know, different types of firmware and hardware that we were selecting as part of RFPs. That was where I had a bit of a jump. Yes, yes. And so you mentioned when we were talking about doing this podcast about your sector changes, and it seems like something you've nailed. Like, I want to know how you were able to move from forestry to tech and all of the things that you've done within tech as well, they are not easy to do. A lot of people get put off by this idea of changing sectors and they find that transferring skills is good in paper and in theory, but it's not easy to translate when you're doing job applications. How did you manage doing that? Yeah, I've heard that from lots of people when I talk about my career that you know they've either had a, a really hard time or that they can't fathom jumping from one part of tech to another or to a different industry altogether. 
And I think because I made such a big leap early on in my career, I transitioned from forestry where I was a specialist in fire weather and predicting fire behaviour based on weather observations in the field to running, you know, a 3.7 billion euro project in the tech space. And for me, that was a real leap of faith. I had, you know, youth on my side, so probably a little bit of ignorance as to what would be required in that space. I was also really well supported by people around me. So I had a really good team of people that I was working with. And I've always been a bit of a go-getter, you know, say yes and figure it out on the way. You know, pretty much my life is, so well, I'll just wing it. And that was no exception. I then made deliberate changes because I didn't want to be stuck in a niche. I had witnessed people within that first tech role that had been doing the same thing for 30 odd years. And I could see the trends of the tech industry was that would not probably set me up for success. So I made a deliberate choice to then change industries. So I went from fintech into not-for-profit. I then went into fleet. I then worked in education, I worked in managed services, I transitioned into medical and every time I moved, I made the very conscious decision of what transferable skills have I got in the role that I've done or the previous roles that I've done that will set me up for this next role and would prepare for interviews with that in mind. So I'd go in with the intention of talking about the expertise I had that was transferable, so the skills that I had gathered and then it was you know once I'd done that a couple of times it was really easy then to demonstrate hey I've got an ability to quickly learn I've demonstrated multiple times over and then I could use that to then leverage further career transitions moving forward I think the biggest takeaway for me with transferring across industries would be that it's okay to say I won't know it's okay to admit that you won't have all the answers but with that comes fresh eyes and oftentimes that's the strength that you bring into those kind of roles is that you see things from a slightly different perspective and you've got the ability to then question parts of that particular industry or the role that you're doing is maintaining that curious nature and being able to have meaningful conversations around well, why are we doing that? You know, what's the reason for that? Is there a better way that we could do it? And leveraging those experience that I'd had in those in the past to be able to look at things and be a bit more inventive. Mandy, I'm assuming that when you were making those big sector changes that recruiters or employers did ask you, you know, why are you doing this? Did you have, I'm assuming also based on the successful transitions you've made, that you've honed in the answer to that question? right? Can you give us an example of how you would answer a question like that? So my biggest thing is that I really like to learn new things. And the advantages I have in those kinds of roles is bringing a new perspective and being able to allay people's fears that, hey, I've done this multiple times before. I've demonstrated that I can lean on subject matter experts in the field to be able to gain insight into the inner workings of that particular industry, but still then leapfrog forward from that position to advance the team in the direction of the corporate strategy. That's an excellent answer. And is it also fair to say that there are doors that you have found that will not ever open, like people just won't accept a big transition like that? I say this because sometimes 
the job ad or the selection criteria includes, you know, X years of experience in, let's say, energy sector. And then the applicant tracking system, the ATS might exclude you. Have you encountered that as well? And that's just the situation, you know, you need to live with? I think as machine learning is being used more and more in recruitment, it's getting harder to get in front of recruiters or hiring managers for roles that are asking for deep expertise within an industry. I think when applications were always viewed by humans, there was an easier in. I'm starting to see a trend across multiple areas at the moment, not just with me, but with the ways in which AI is being used and we're putting in specific criteria, it's harder to get through some of those hurdles and get in front of someone. My experience has always been that if you can have a conversation and you can talk to your expertise, then it's much easier to get a foot in a door. Mm-hmm. But recruitment process has changed over time to leverage the ability to put in criteria to sift through large volumes of applications for roles. So it is getting harder. I wouldn't say any door is ever closed. I think right person, right role. And that's something that I've always held very dear to my heart that, that, you know, whenever someone's looking for a candidate, that they should be looking for the right person for that role. And sometimes opening people's eyes to an option that they may not have ordinarily considered is welcomed. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you also mentioned that some of the sector changes were deliberate, but have you ever been in a position where it was needed? Because I have clients and listeners that I know, you know, are in sectors that are downsizing, restructuring, changing so much that changing sectors might be a great solution for the future of their careers. Have you been in that situation? I haven't been in it personally, but I can see that there are going to be more and more of that as we move forward, I think, you know, as AI becomes more advanced, there are certain parts of jobs that are going to be taken over by that kind of functionality. So the need to be able to flex is going to increase. Mm. I think the the way I have, I wouldn't say developed because none of my choices have been that strategic. I have taken opportunities when I've thought, you know, this is the right time for me or this is the right role for me. And to be honest, I haven't applied for a job for close to a decade, I would say. I've always been asked to apply for roles. So I'm probably in a relatively fortunate position that my expertise is valued and I've got really strong networks that has helped me to transition my career throughout the last decade but I think that there are certain sectors that there's some nervousness at the moment Mm -hmm. content in particular I'm starting to hear a lot of people working in comms that are uncertain as to what's going to happen with some of the content creation AI that's coming through at the moment. Yes, no, I, I actually need to do an episode about that. I picked up on something you've just mentioned about you being contacted for the transitions you've made in the past decade. Tell me how you work that out. Has that been through, let's say, LinkedIn? Or is it people that you've worked with in the past, you know, former colleagues that have kept you top of mind and then contacted you when there was an opportunity for you to join their team? 
It's been a bit of a mix, actually. So some of it has definitely been people that I've worked with in the past, and I've been strongly encouraged to apply for roles that they're working with or for at a new organisation, for example. Others have been senior management that I've worked with in the past that have liked my style of work that have then contacted me because they've got a new role available or they've moved on to another place. Others have been with recruiters I've worked over the years and they see a particular role and they go, oh, I know the perfect candidate for this one and will reach out. So it's been a bit of a, a mix and always for me, the ones that entice me because I I get approached relatively regularly. Some of them are cold calls, people looking on LinkedIn, fortunate enough to be a senior manager in tech that's female. So a bit of a niche and, you know, kind of relatively hot property as lots of organisations are striving towards specific gender targets. So some of it is because I'm a woman, which is a double-edged sword. It's great for me, but it goes against my ethos of right person, right role. And I think that should be irrespective of gender or any other personal attribute. So I would say it's been a good, healthy mix of sources. Right. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And I think that that shows a healthy career readiness that you're, you know, that you've been contacted and people are thinking of you. So it's almost like a good way of like a proxy, you know, a thermometer to assess if you're career is healthy and sustainable over time so well done now I really want to understand how and why you've wanted to have this should I call it a side hustle do you think of it as a side hustle yeah Yeah, okay yeah yeah. at the moment it is because it's very busy isn't it to have such a big job and something that can take so much of your time does it take a lot of your time your side hustle and your podcast and did you expect it to take this much time off from you to be honest during the height of the pandemic I literally let it go Mm -hmm. I did not have bandwidth long hours lots of demands, things changing very quickly, working in operations in retail means that you've got to pivot very, very quickly, all about making sales and making sure that we can service our end customer. So for probably a solid two years, all I did was the occasional blog post. And as we've come out of the chaos and settled Mm -hmm. into a relatively normal pattern, I would say we're still running at a faster pace than we did pre-COVID, but there's definitely some bandwidth now. Honestly, it could take as much time as is available. It is something that if I worked on it full time, I would still have more to do because it is a passion project and I could just keep giving and keep giving and keep giving. I think the more time I spend on it, the more time I want to spend on it, which I think is a good thing considering it is is something that I want to transition to in the future in a full-time capacity. And a lot of the work that I'm doing now is fruitless. I probably won't see the benefits of what I'm doing now for 18 months, two years, Mm -hmm. because it's a slow grind at the start. You would know starting a business is, it's not, it's not all glamour and 
big wins and, you know, I've not gone for viral and I don't expect to. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of hard slog that goes on behind the scenes that a lot of people don't appreciate. And when I say things like I'm working, people go, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're on socials and just, you know, doing a couple of little things. So I think the structure and the foundations behind creating a business is a very steep learning curve. It's not something I've ever done before, so it's uncertain. There's a lot of mechanics to make it work. And although I've got a really strong vision as to what I want to achieve and I've got a strategy set out to achieve it, you've still got to put in the, the work. Yes. I love that we're talking about this because I find that there are more and more professionals that want to do this. They want to have a job and they want the flexibility of the hybrid work environment or the work from home environment to allow them to uncover the new hobby or have a side hustle that they've been dreaming about. So I have clients that have initiated the process of setting up a small business or they're looking at startups or they're developing their own coaching business on the side. So I really like that, but I know it's hard to do. I've done this years ago. So I probably started building up my coaching philosophy and my business plan back in 2006 and I started my business in, sorry, 2000, that's too long, 2016, sorry. And I started my business in 2019. So three years of planning. And then, like you said, a couple of years of doing it full time, right? So I wasn't like you doing it as a side hustle. So three years of side hustling it and then went full time with it. And even with those three years of prep, it still didn't make it in terms of revenue. It didn't make it good until maybe a year ago, right? So it takes a long time. What have you learned that you think you can share with people that are planning to do a similar project? I think the greatest learning for me has so far been patience mm. and approaching it with a curious mindset. I think the inevitable hurdles that you will face into will challenge you and will be a test to see whether it is something that you actually really want to do because it would be so easy to quit it. Like it would be so easy to let it go and just go on with my job. But it's the passion, it's the fire that burns inside that makes you want to actually do that because it, you know deep down that it's your true calling that I think that gets you through some of those moments of in uncertainty and the indecision that comes around it. So for me, it's about reminding myself that it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in it for the long haul, work hard, the gains will come eventually. It's pretty much like going to the gym. <laughs> you, know, you turn up every day, you do your best, you work hard and you don't see it straight away. It takes time yeah. to get the results and the same is true in business. And although I think that there's lots of doomsday prophecies that 80% of businesses fail, I think largely if you're doing it as a side hustle and you don't have the financial obligation to make it a a success from a financial perspective as long as you keep chipping away at it mm -hmm. I think you'll get there yes yes is there an irony here on you having a side hustle about health when that side hustle could burn you out <laughs> yes I think there is I think that again the approach that I take with anything in my life is to just incrementally hence the name of the book and the name of the business is just add a little bit on 
as you get more comfortable. So like I said, I started blogging in 2017, then I wrote a book, then I started a podcast, then I really started to build social media. So it's been a stepwise approach for me. It hasn't been, well, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to do it all straight away and it's going to be a great success. It's been a quite a gradual transition into that and as I've become more comfortable with it. And to be honest with you, initially, although I've always wanted to do something in the space, it took a while for me to get to the point where I kind of went, oh, you know, I know what this looks like. And, you know, it was probably two years into it when I started writing the book that I went, okay, I can see six years from now. I can see what this is going to be like when I'm 70. I can see what I'm going to grow this into. And now that I've got that path forward, it's just about taking the steps mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah, I love having that long-term horizon because if it looks like it's taking too long now, you know that that's not true because you are incrementally building, like you said, things over time. But it's such a good foundation for a strong future. So well done. Now, in terms of burnout, you know I wanted to talk to you about burnout. <laughs> it's because it's been on my mind now. so much. And Cassandra Goodman, do you know Cassandra Goodman, by the way? She has been on no. the podcast a couple of times. She's a leadership coach and, and she's very interested in burnout as well. We've been exchanging articles. And this is what I have found. I have found that a lot of people that reach out to me for career coaching who are currently in between jobs and looking for work, they resigned because they were burnt out, right? And I have found that a lot of people that are very anxious, even if they still have a job and they are looking for another job to start tomorrow or yesterday, it's because they feel burnt out where they are, although that's not the best solution for them to, you know, move from one job to another and do that hopping or to resign because they don't see a solution. That's what's happening, really. And I see that every day. As somebody who has a busy job and is so interested in health, do you have any advice to give people that are burning at both ends and they don't know how to take care of themselves? I know a lot of people have that feeling, but they may not even know that they are burning out, that they are going through what could be, you know, a big crisis? I think, unfortunately, we wear busyness as a badge of honour in Mm -hmm. the corporate world. It's bandied about as a bit of a feather in your cap. And I think that that's to the detriment of individuals Mm -hmm. and to the corporations as well, to be honest with you, because you're not getting the best out of your people if they're on the brink of collapse. I think the greatest thing that you can do to look after yourself is to sort out your sleep because I see sleep as the foundational pillar to anyone's health. If you're sleeping well, if you're well rested, if you are able to decompress at the end of the day and get some quality physical rest, because there's different types of rest, right? There's the physical rest, Peach, which is sleep. You know, that's where your body does all of its repair processes and commits long-term memory, you know, all of that sort of stuff happens when we're sleeping. But I think if you've got that, you're less likely to be short-tempered, irrational, making massive life decisions when potentially that's not necessarily in your best interest. I think if you can get that right, it's easier then to do the other things that'll help you transition out of burnout. 
I think the biggest thing is that there is no quick fix Mm. to true burnout. So I think if people are experiencing burnout, the acknowledgement that there is going to be a road out of it that's going to take some time and accepting that it took a while to get there, right? This didn't happen overnight. We don't go from fine one day to going, oh, I'm completely burnt out the next. It's the culmination of events over long periods of time that leads to this feeling of extreme fatigue and almost lostness with what's going on in your life. And for me, having gone through that during the pandemic, because I definitely got to burnout stage, Mm -hmm. it was having a meaningful break. So I took some time off work where I didn't think about work where I didn't do anything with work it was probably the first time I had really taken time off and not gone anywhere because we're in a pandemic we couldn't go we couldn't leave (laughs) Melbourne we were in lockdown I took a week off and just did a full reset as soon as I started to realize hey I'm I'm in it here and it took me a while to recognize that to be honest with you even though I've got this foundation in health and I've always been the kind of person that, you know, give me more, give me more, give me more. I got to the point where I'm like, oh, well, we'll slow down. And that for me was the first sign that I went, ah, oh, this is out of character for me. This is not typical of me. Something's not quite right. So if I look back on my experience, it was around getting the basics right, sleeping well, returning to exercise, eating well, drinking enough water, getting those fundamental basics in shape and then going, right, well, how do I then get back into functioning well at work and I suppose what I'm seeing more and more of is that affecting a broader spectrum of people Mm. so whereas during COVID I was seeing it in management I was seeing it in executives I was seeing it in people that were working in operations in particular because of the fast-paced changes that were happening What I'm seeing now is that it's much more broad spread, that we've got this kind of lag that's happening post-COVID where we haven't collectively taken a breath. Mm. We haven't assessed the true psychological impact of COVID and different parts of the world were affected very differently by Mm. COVID, I think. And our lived experience throughout that time was very communal Everyone generally was connected, although virtually, we felt connected, whereas that connection seems to have dissolved a little bit. Everyone thinks that now we're out and about. Well, our connections are great. When in reality, organisations that were putting on specific programs during COVID to address that need of connection because we were in our homes, those are no longer running. But we've transitioned back to life as usual or whatever this post-COVID normal might be and we're still not seeing true connection and it's that sense of belonging that makes it hard for us to transition as a society. So I think that a lot of the work around burnout now needs to be, well, how do we get that sense of connection, that collective breath Mm -hmm. because we've gone through such a fast-paced transition and something that was completely unfamiliar to our generation and I know you know for my children was the first time they experienced hardship Mm -hmm. so they've had a very blessed life and it was hard for them it was was something that was unfamiliar 
not only was there a lot of uncertainty, but it was the first time that they'd experienced any kind of change from a very privileged life. And I was speaking to a friend this morning who was saying his 14-year-old has been diagnosed with clinical depression, largely because of what happened during COVID. And I think that for me is not the first one, but to have that diagnosis in someone so young Mm -hmm. as a result of the pandemic makes me realise how broad this burnout piece is. It's not, you know, the upper ends of management. It's not those people holding, you know, really stressful jobs. It's society as a whole. Yes, there's a term in psychology for, and I can't remember what it is, Mandy, for that moment where you panic immediately after a stressful event. So, for example, yeah. when you're drowning, the adrenaline is keeping you afloat. As soon as you're rescued, then you go into this panic mode. And if you think about PTSD as well, and the way that our mind kind of helps us survive crisis. But that doesn't mean that we are okay. And that delayed effect, I think, is really important. And I'm really sorry to hear about the teenager with that mental depression. But I I think that that has been something that we're still uncovering. In fact, more and more I see people transitioning into the mental health sector because there's so many, talking about sector changes, there's so much demand for services in mental health. How are, you know, big employers, I don't know how much you can say about where you are now, but are you seeing any changes in how to manage large teams and, you know, big environments with a lot of people that could be experiencing that delayed burnout or mental health issues following the pandemic? I haven't seen a lot of new programs released, unfortunately, and I think the time will come because US will set the trends here, I think, as they often do because of the way healthcare is structured in the US. A lot of that falls to organisations and when their claims start to increase and their costs go off as a result of that, Mm -hmm. they will start implementing better programs to try and stem this because the root cause analysis will be pretty clear. I think that there are some organisations already doing really great work in this space. I think of the Atlas Atlassian team in particular. They've always had an agile way of working, people working from home, and they have really good structures in place to support their teams that set them up for real success throughout the pandemic. And there's lots of other organisations that are invested in mindfulness training and you know, mindful-based stress programs. So really focusing on workplace stress and the way mindfulness and meditation in particular can help us better cope with fast-paced environments and by default then address some of those things that we are carrying through from the pandemic. As individuals, though, we probably can't afford to wait for organisations to be doing that. So you know, my thing has always been where you can do what you can with what you've got as much as possible. So I think there's lots of autonomy in many organisations to work towards this. And it could be as simple as having a conversation with your team around how are you doing, you know, making a big deal about some of these awesome programs that we have already. Are you okay, Dave, for example, mm-hmm. you know, taking the time out 
to incorporate that into our day-to-day and not waiting for organisations to develop a program and having those conversations as early as possible, as often as possible, and creating that psychological safety within the organisation and taking that on as much as we can. I think the more we do as individuals, the more likely it is that organisations will hear the groundswell and start to take a leaf out of our own book. The other part of that, I think, is that with the economic situation at the moment, organisations are a little bit more cautious about their spend and the way in which they're utilising discretionary funds. And they may choose not to do that at the moment because they're saving it mm-hmm. to make sure that they can not have to downsize, for example. So I think if we take the reliance off our organisations and do what we can with the resources that are available to us, and there's plenty of organisations doing great work in this space. Beyond Blue has got some great resources available that you can get if you want to do a bit of a DIY approach, like so. If I take a leaf out of the Bunnings ethos, if you, you know, if you're going to do it yourself, there are lots of resources that you can then lean on. You don't have to be an expert in this space, but you can make a meaningful impact to your immediate teams and help them transition through some of these relatively complex processes. And everyone's going to be different. I think is one of the things that I'm seeing more and more of is that we've got the same environment generating very, very differing responses. Mm. What do you mean by the same environment? So we've all been through the pandemic, right? But I think that there's people are taking out of it very different things. So while some have been spurred on by it and, you know, found a kind of like a second wind post-COVID, I think others are depleted and exhausted and, you know, could all do with five weeks in Fiji (laughs) (laughs) to kind of recover. So I think that there are differing responses always to any kind of traumatic event and I see COVID as trauma. You know, that's kind of the collective experience was that it was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, and when anything shakes our own physicality and our own mortality I think we're hardwired to have that affect us yes you're absolutely right Mandy thank you so much you know I love that we spoke about sector change we spoke about side hustling and we spoke about wellness and burnout and how to move forward post pandemic and considering it a a traumatic event I think is the right way for a leader you know I mean I think the beauty of you having the side hustle that you have is how good a leader you can be for your team at work and I think you know sometimes people worry about a side hustling not being accepted by your employer or not being sort of aligned or intertwined with the work that you do but I guess you're showing that it can be and it can actually add value to who you are as a leader. So I'm so proud of you and happy for you. Congratulations. Are there any topics that we didn't discuss that you might want to bring up? I mean, or any final words you want to share with the listeners? I obviously firmly believe that health is the foundation to our productivity at work. I think the the better we look after ourselves, the better we're able to function in the workplace, the more we can give to the people that we love, the more that we can be in service in general. So I just really encourage any of your listeners, if they do need support to check out the website and have a look and see if any of that resonates with them. All right, we're going to share a link to your website and your LinkedIn profile with the episode show notes. Thanks, Renata. Thank you so much for um, joining us. Thanks for having me on here. My pleasure. 
I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you keep in touch. Please subscribe wherever you found this podcast. And if you're inspired and motivated to keep going, check out other episodes. You can also learn more about my services as a career coach in the episode show notes and on my website, renatabernardi.com. That's R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. Ciao for now.